everybody. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Thinking Drinkers podcast, where we recommend some fantastic drinks for you to enjoy this week and some spurious reasons to enjoy them. My name's Tom Sandham. I'm one of the Thinking Drinkers, and I'm joined by the other Thinking Drinker, Ben McFarland. Hello, Ben. Hello, Katanga, my friends. How are we doing, everyone? <laughs> Right. They can't. They can't respond. It's it's just me and you oh, yes. talking. But yeah. Yes. Uh, nice to ask. How are you? You guys doing? Who are listening? Um, but how are you doing, Ben? What have you been up to this week? Well, what have you been drinking? Well, in light uh, after last week's interview with Adrian Charles about monitoring your units and drinking sensibly, uh, I've not. I think I need to read the book again. <laughs> It's not really gone as well as I'd hoped. I did very well up until last Friday when um, we went to, but then we had the Perno Ricard Christmas lunch, which in the world of drinks, journalism. It's pretty, it's, writing, it's pretty big, pretty it's big an, boozy lunch. It's an iconic it? event. It's the only yeah. event, really. It's the only one left. left. Uh, yeah, there used back to be in lots. the day, whew, there were lots of them. But uh, but you 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 had you filled your boots a little bit there. It's convivial drinking with Pernod Ricard. But convivial because they are French. They are not encouraging us to drink heavily. It's no. our misbehaviour that gets in yeah. the way of their. Well, before good we even got there, before we even <laughs> got there, Tom, we had a Bloody Mary and a Guinness. Half a Guinness. It was a breakfast drink. We were stood outside the Wigmore in London's glittering West End, uh, waiting for it to open, which is the first (laughs) time I've done that in a long time. The sign you've got a problem, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I mean, if Adrian Charles's uh, advice was sobering, we certainly ignored it. Well, no, I did Uh, did five days without without drinking anything. Yeah, and then, and I know total abstention is actually quite easy over five days, especially when you've got a little light at the end of the tunnel in terms of like one of the most alcohol-soaked days, <laughs> alcohol-soaked days of the year. But, um, but, but his 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 theory that how many of those drinks did you really want or need? And I would say all of them, all the drinks. But you left you left a bit early from the perno, and we'll come back to what I did after the after the lunch because that's the end, really. The lunch you went you went after lunch, but you got on a train to Norfolk, didn't you? And then did I you did. Stop? I was on my way to Norfolk for a lads' weekend. When I say lads' weekend, it's quite it's quite tame, really. We're all getting on a bit, so it's um. But it was still boozy. It was boozy. We met at the Gunton Arms, which oh, is a classic. great place in uh, in Norfolk. Uh, near not far from Cromer, very nice, very nice pub. Does amazing food. Had quite a few pints of wherry, so I didn't drink on the train. Were you wary drunk by the I end? I was wary drunk at the end. <laughs> um, no, I went joke. on. Uh, I went to a, yeah on the train. I didn't drink, so it it almost turned sour because once you've had a few lunchtime drinks and you don't yeah. and you have a gap, you start to think, oh god, mm. reality starts to seep in. Yeah, um, when that reality is Norwich train station, it's bad. Yeah, um, but then yeah, I had a very nice weekend. Drank a lot of wherry, um, and had a nice time there. Well so, done. So, but in I, terms, in I, terms I, of I unit over the weekend, yeah, you did. Do you? Well, I did all my units on that Friday night because yeah. I stayed. And after the at the end of the lunch, um, 
they served up some uh, posts. They, so we walk in and you get a, we had a lovely beef eater gin cocktail to start with, or you could have a Shivas whiskey cocktail. All of these are Perno drinks, obviously. Perno Ricard, the drinks company. Well done, them. Um, and then they serve their wines because they've got all the Jacob's Creek estates and some other stuff. Yeah, I can't remember. That's just wine, though, isn't it? It's all the same to wine. Oh, <laughs> so, remind me, I've got to come back to wine and how, okay, easy, how easy it is to write about it, but away but anyway yeah. let's go <laughs> and uh and then at the end they served up some post-in drinks so you wouldn't have seen these but um i think you'd gone by the time they bought out the uh jamison um espresso martini at the end which was made using the jamison orange which is quite a controversial whiskey for some people they think it's a bit of a uh, gimmicky sort of whiskey Cherry's chocolate orange uh, it's like a chocolate orange flavored in the whiskey i actually quite like it i and, like it as well uh, yeah and it makes a fantastic espresso martini so then we had that and then it was off to a hotel bar to drink water you'd think, imagine after all that but no um i decided to drink some more alcoholic drinks and i had some perno martinis and i had <laughs> an absolute elix uh, martini which is a perno uh, martini uh uh sorry a <laughs> That's good to say. Uh, Plymouth Martini. Plymouth, Plymouth Martini. Plural. And, uh, and it licks, uh, absolutely, it licks vodka martini. And vodka martini is, um, yes, yeah, sort of much maligned these days, isn't it, Ben? But uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I think it's having a bit of a resurgence. So if you enjoy vodka, have a vodka martini. Well, I mean, uh, it's if it's good enough for Bond, it's exactly. certainly good enough for you. Even And did anyone comment on your trousers? They didn't. So yeah, I had a, 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 I bought a suit in the Black Friday sale yeah. uh, because it's all a very smart suits, suit, Tom. It's lovely, but they cut it in a way that in a way that uh, it essentially flares, isn't it, Ben? It was, it was <laughs> a bit just, flary. They're flared trousers, which I'll try and get amended. But if I don't, and we ever see any listeners out and about and I'm wearing that suit, we can we can get some views on whether they're flares. Or not. No, they are. They're not. They're, they're not suitable players. for riding bicycles or in. Catch the wind. They're, they catch and, the wind. Well, caps in the, they're catching the chain as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, if I'm ever on my bike again, which I'm not at the moment because it's really cold. <laughs> it's really cold. <laughs> I've just decided. Because uh, it's summer. Christmas coming up, isn't it? There's a cold snap coming, which is it is. Yeah, and that oh. just brings me back to. Um, my wine critique. So over the weekend, I had time to because I was out away with the lads, mm. I had time to read a Saturday newspaper, which is not often something I have the time to do. Mm. And uh, in the local little village store, they didn't have the left-leaning Guardian Easter... Uh, you know, paper of choice. Paper, paper of Paper choice. of record. Paper of record. Um, so I went... Um, went for, uh, my mate, other mate Tommy, bought the Indy, and I thought, oh, no, I'll go for the Times... And in the Times, it had 50 best wines for Christmas. Mm. You've got to read it, mate. It's such an easy gig. It was written by their wine writer. I won't mention the name, but literally, oh, my God. This one tastes of apricots, and it goes well with stuffing. This one is great before the turkey. This is one is good with the turkey. It's got enough body to tackle the turkey. This one, oh, it's got it's full body to have it with Christmas put. Honestly, we're in yeah. the wrong game. 
we've this got is red. To... This is white. This goes this with is... fish. This goes yeah. with red meat. Oh my yeah. god! It, it doesn't and, seem uh... to have changed or moved on in... <laughs> no. by any stretch no. over the last fifty years. Uh, yeah, that's so. I mean, it, Pete Brown, to his credit, managed to get a piece in the Sunday Times about beer this weekend, which was. Uh, well played, Pete. Uh, but generally speaking, the drinks stuff, Alice Lassels, who writes for the Financial Times, she really digs deeper into the, the sort of breweries or distilleries or vineyards, and she does some interesting stuff. But generally speaking, there's a oh, lot of average not... drinks no, writing out there, isn't there? They're really, I mean, well, it, it, we're jealous. Let's not get this. Oh, no, I'd love to have us. a column. Yeah, please can I have one? We'd so love one it. because cause it looks not least because I thought it would be difficult. But judging by that, yeah. I mean, if this is white, it's under £10 and it goes with, with canapes. That was yeah. actually one of them. Yeah, that's <sighs> never mind. A I'm waste sure there's of more to it. Print, really. Yeah. Uh, there's more that do... could be done. She can only do what she's asked. I think that's part of the criticism, really, is that the newspapers themselves don't give over enough room. The Financial Times is a great example of how they actually do seem to credit drinks with some of the respect it deserved. Because if you're having Christmas parties, it's pretty fundamental part of your diet is going to be what you're drinking with your food. So to ignore it in the way that the newspapers do does seem a little um, like they're missing the point of our lives really yeah i mean i mean i ignore all the advice because if i have a christmas party which i don't because i don't like people but if i did i'd give them some of the outdate cream liqueurs that have been hanging around my <laughs> cupboard since the 90s i pour them all into <laughs> one drink and called it a layered cocktail yeah well this is a layered cocktail <laughs> there's all this shit i want to get rid of in one and that's glass. the beauty when people come around you say what would you like to drink and they go, well, you're the expert. You yeah. go, well, well, there we go. <laughs> you, yes, I am. Have this rosé that's been over for four weeks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, my absolute elix cocktail actually brings us seamlessly, I've realised, onto uh, our first drink recommendation of the week, which would be a Swedish drink, or maybe not. It's going to be in credit of Alfred Nobel, who on the 10th of December died oh. uh, in um, 1895. I wish I had that date. And you think I'd done my research. Was it 1895 <laughs> or 1896? 1896. Look in yeah. our book, because it's in our book. If you haven't got the Thinking Drinker's Almanac, it happens to be the perfect Christmas gift because it's it a drink a day, every day of the year, including your birthday, whatever that might be. And especially around this time of year, it will have things like Jesus's birthday in here, I imagine, because mm -hmm. we get to get to Christmas Day. And on the 10th of December, in our book, we reference the death of Alfred Noble, 1986. And Alfred Noble, as we may or may not know, gave us the Nobel Awards and um do you know he what else he so. gave us uh knock knock jokes who uh, invented a knock knock joke alfred nobel nobel See? yeah That's a yeah. yeah that was not his most fundamental no. contribution to humanity okay. no. he he bequeathed his uh the vast majority of his estate which is worth about 260 million quid today to the to establish these prizes which he he started to write into his will in 1895, which was pretty um, 
prescient of him because he died a year later. But he, he wanted to do it to recognise those who've given the greatest benefits to humankind. And perhaps that's why he put the knock-knock joke in as well. And he listed five awards in his will, and a sixth for economics was added in 1968. And they were for the greatest discoveries or inventions in fields of physics, chemistry, and medicine. Fourth, devoted to the author of the most astounding work of literature. And a fifth, designated to the person who shall have done the most or the best work for the fraternity between the nations and the abolition or reduction of standing armies and the formation and spreading of peace congresses. So that was all well, that's about, good. Yeah, all about peace. Um, uh, and the last one is thought to be motivated by his obituary. How, Ben, could a man's obituary inspire him to come up with an idea? I hear you ask. How does an obituary he, Well, he would have been dead, them. wouldn't he? So yeah, how yeah. does his obituary? Well, get this, dudes. His death was actually preempted by a newspaper who ran his obituary while he was alive. Oh, that's good. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Because in 1888, his brother Ludwig, uh, Ludwig died in France. He had a heart attack. But one um, one dummy from a French newspaper, he thought Alfred was the man who popped his clog. So he wrote this sort of scathing and horrible obituary about uh, Nobel. What did Brandon. he say? Well, he said he was a merchant of death. Oh, Ooh, not nice, grown, is it? Yeah, it's not. And he'd grown rich by developing new ways to mutilate and kill. Um, and he? Well, he had, really. And this is the big irony about Nobel, is that he set up these awards, but actually he'd spent his life making a lot of money out of essentially making explosives. That was how he made most of his money. Uh, his dad was an engineer who'd run an arms factory and built underwater mines for Russia during the Crimean war. So he was brought up in a fairly war hungry sort of household, I suppose. And, um, and he started to develop explosives. A big one that he, he was famous for was the nitroglycerine detonator. So he didn't, um, he didn't invent nitroglycerine for all no, you, no, uh, no. Nitroglycerin nerds out there, uh, I know that. Um, but he he did invent dynamite. He found a way of making nitroglycerin a bit more easy to use. Turned it into a paste. So you know, you know, like in um, like the A team and that when they put yeah. that sort of yeah, plasticine yeah, yeah. stuff on those yeah, big yeah. sticks, that was that was what he did. And it meant it was a bit easier to to manipulate and use, and a bit safer uh, to 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 make things blow up. Uh, he found that, that out the hard way in 1864 in his nitroglycerin factory. Uh, there was a big explosion, which actually oh, killed it's, his... It's, <laughs> it's going to happen, isn't it? It's going to happen. <laughs> he will blow with fire. Uh, <laughs> so that one, that idea did uh, blow up in his face. Well, in his brother's face. His brother was killed, which you think would be enough, really, to stop him mucking was that about Lu with. Was that Ludwig? No, this was his younger brother, Emil. Um, right. But they wrote they wrote Ludwig's obituary, and they were really <laughs> harsh about Ludwig. So Ludwig changed his ways as a bit of a domino rally. And then, and then poor old Ludwig, he really copped it. But they wrote about um, Alfred, and Alfred sort of changed his ways. So the the the, the dynamite was the big one, and really, uh, although he had three hundred and fifty patents for lots of other ideas like artificial silk, <laughs> I haven't really looked into what that's used for um leather 
the artificial leather, leather, well. leather oh artificial leather artificial leather which i can see i, I suppose both faux, of le- those, faux leather is is probably big business it's a good it? thing yeah well it's a good thing as well isn't it because yeah. if, if you like animals um then and i suppose silk as well because silk comes from um from animals as well doesn't worms does it work silk caterpillars and and shit so yeah those are a bit more but but mostly he 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 blew shit up um and he had a hundred factories that made explosives and munitions by the time he died so as he went into his death he looked at all of that and he saw his obituary and he said you know what i better sort my shit out and actually create some stuff that that recognizes the good in humanity and um and he he put all his money in, in his will into this the first list didn't uh, emerge until 1901. And um, when I was really looking through this this morning, I realised there's a bit of a typo in our book, Ben. I just really it really? <laughs> quite surprising. Yeah, it says, uh, so he established the Nobel Prize list in 1901, um, which, of course, he didn't really establish in 1901 because if he He's did dead. thus far, he was dead. But I think what that's, what's happened there is that's a cut because I do, do remember reading a lot about Nobel and the prizes and Carlsberg, which we were about to get onto. And I think this was one of the examples where the entry was twice the length of well, we did what, write what the publisher wanted. We wrote too many words. <laughs> I think two is good because if you spell it a different way, T-W-O, we wrote two books. Uh, <laughs> we actually did write books and they asked us to cut 50% of the copy, uh, which we had to do. It which is funny because if you listen to this, lo- this podcast, you'll know full well that we keep things tight and relevant. Yeah, we don't really like to, to waffle. Just, Waffle on. Waffle. Um, but some good winners of the Nobel Prizes since he launched it. Uh, some controversial ones, people who turned it down. Jean-Paul Sartre, he refused his. Um, someone put Hitler up for one in 1939. I mean, <laughs> what? I mean, no, you, can, you can't get nominated. Not all can. nominations really deserve it, as well no, we that's know. true. Tom. We've been nominated for many awards we shouldn't have been in for, but we're not Hitler. Uh, no. Bob, Bob Dylan won one. Henry Kissinger won one. Uh, Obama won one. This is a good one. Jocelyn Bell Burnell. She discovered pulsars in, you know, pulsars? Yeah. Do you know those, Ben? No. Yeah. What are they? Pulsars. I have no idea. She discovered them in 1967 and published a paper with her advisor, Anthony Hewish. But Hewish and Martin Ryle, his mate, were given the prize for physics in 1974. Oh. And, and she wasn't. I mean, what's her name? Uh, Jocelyn Bell Burnell. Well, I tell you what, there's um yeah, because Have you got her in the book? No, hang on. I've got someone else in the book who got mugged off as well. It's really out of order. She well, invented she a lot split of women the did. Lisa Maitner. So yeah. she was um so when she uh she discovered nuclear fission. Fission right. uh which led <laughs> directly to the advent of nuclear energy. Um, wow. Have a f- no one would have heard of her because as a Jewish woman in the 1940s, it's a double whammy. Um, mm. She was she's been pretty much airbrushed from history. There you go. I mean, yeah. that is there's one of the big criticisms of the prize list generally that women have been overlooked all these for all these years. Um, Johannes Fibiger was one of my favourite uh, because in 1926 he discovered parasitic worms cause cancer. Um, so what's oh, interesting yeah. about that is you probably don't think they do. Because they don't. It was a breakthrough that turned out to be not <laughs> true. 
You have to give it back Fib, Fibiger. I don't know. It's probably long dead when they discovered that that's utter bullshine. Um, uh, Robert Lucas, he's another good one. 1995, he won it for the economics, which, as discussed, was introduced after Noble's death. Um, but he won it for his theory on rational expectations, but had to split his one million prize with his ex-wife because she put a clause in the divorce settlement seven years earlier saying the wife shall receive 50% of any Nobel Prize. And that clause expired on October 31st, 1995. So if Lucas had won any year after he won it, he would have kept the whole mill. But because she'd written this clause in, he had to give her half of the million uh, on rational expectations, which, I mean, (laughs) that can be... He's got to have rational expectations about the kind of house he can buy now. Yeah. And talking of houses, Ben, that's a nice link because uh, Niels Bohr is the guy we put in the book in 1922 who won it for his revelation about atom structures that we don't really understand or have time to learn about. Uh, But the important thing was that uh, he was a Dane and Carlsberg rewarded him with a house. They bought the man a house and they placed it near the brewery and they ran a pipe from the brewery direct to his house so he could drink brewery fresh beer for the rest of his life. That is wicked. Yeah, his life ended in 1962, so he had 40 years of free beer from the Carlsberg brewery into his house. That was the link, because you said the word house. house. Yeah, but 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 Carlsberg did have done loads of they've I think we mentioned it before did loads of um they've invested loads in a foundation the Carlsberg Foundation the research laboratory yeah, yeah. They, and yeah. loads of cool sh- shits come out of there uh, washing powder came out of there the yeah. pH scale yeah um something else what was the third one uh well the big one for them was isolating oh. Saccharomyces coal. Carlsbergenisis, which That's is a species one. of yeast. Oh, yeah. Lager fermentation and yeast. Oh, well, well, he I was mean, the, the things well, we could tell you then about yeast. Well, or... let me tell you, it was Carl Lind, I do believe, who was the first oh. man. He was a real he was a real yeast whisperer, never mind Pasteur. Carl Lind, he worked out how to separate the bottom fermenting yeast from the uh, top. Oh, from so when they make oh. a beer, so every time you lift a li- a pint of lager to your lips, raise a glass to Colin and the Carlsberg Laboratory. Hey, Lidge. And hey, if Lidge. you think you don't like lager or you don't like ale, it's just a matter of yeast. yeast. And if yeast is board, ruling guys. your life, then you yeah. need to get some caniston. Yeah. Okay. So there we go. <sighs> you could have some Carlsberg in honour of the Carlsberg Research Laboratory. Uh, all all running on from our Nobel Prize, or in honour of the Swede, Alfred Nobel, you could have yourself an absolute Elix Martini like I did responsibly with the with after the Perno Regard Christmas lunch. So there yes. are my two drinks. Two or drinks. one drink to suggest. Uh, what's your Okay. Well, I'm going off-piste. Which Ooh. is a clue to what I'm doing because off piece is a French term. Because at the time of recording this, we are due to play. Well, we, I say we, that's an assumption, isn't it, Tom? England are due to play France. Come on, England. England in uh, the uh, quarterfinal of the FIFA World Cup. Um, and so rather than pick a date, from this uh from this week that's either in the book or of, of some significance. I'm gonna take you back 
to October the 25th. Uh, okay. Even further than that, 1415 for the biggest. <laughs> I'm going to take you back to last hey, week. But actually, uh, a few hundred yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's a long, okay. long time. It's about 600 and something years. Right. Uh, 607 years. Um, to the Battle of Agincourt, which, as we know, is probably the 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 most remembered and the most epic Anglo-French clashes of, of in history, um, along with Waterloo. Along with Waterloo, I'd say Agincourt is it. Well, yes, Trafalgar. Trafalgar. But we we always we're always fighting those fuckers. <laughs> All I mean, there's the just stuff. two off, off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. But now this <laughs> Agincourt's up there, though. Agincourt's up there. Well. Well, we're doing Agincourt because I haven't cleverly uh, <laughs> manipulated the tale of the battle of uh, of the other battles into some kind of like football report. Cool. This, this took me ages. Um, so uh, let's talk. So if we look at it through the prism of football, which is the way I like to look at all things in life, especially fighting, fighting because it is a fight. It's not just a football match. Um, they're not going to win a Nobel Peace Prize because this is a battle between nations, mm. uh, and 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 it is it's it's rooted in in racism essentially. Mm. Um, but the pre-match build-up focused on let's well let's focus on the two managers at the time. Okay. So you've, got, you've got Henry V. Okay, he was the English mm. gaffer. He was in a lot of trouble. There'd been widespread lawlessness. Um, which had prevent him establishing a uh, a settled a settled formation, if you will. <coughs> um, many thought amongst the nobles that he'd lost the dressing room, um, and some of his critics had even tried to get him get him a sack by by killing him essentially. Um, so uh, he knew that he was he was he he was in trouble. Um, so he needed um, some European success, right. and the ultimate silverware was, of course. The Hundred Years' War, which um, mm. I used to think the Hundred Years' War was just one long war. Mm. Uh, I don't think it was. Like the Thirty Years' War was, wasn't it? The yeah. Thirty Years' War was. Yeah, but imagine a hundred. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, but the Hundred Years' War was more of a sort of um, sporadic series of, of yeah, of conflicts. Yeah, but fisticuffs spanning much of the fourteenth. Yeah, it's century. a bit like saying the English versus the Germans was. Ran from sort of nineteen twelve well, to yeah nineteen forty five five yeah so it kind of did yeah yeah anyway up until that point up until this point up until Asian Corps, basically it was about you know it was even Stevens it was it was uh, both sides sharing the spoils and then you got on the, on the French side Tom you've got well they were suffering their own the French were suffering their own managerial crisis the issue was that the French king who was Charles the sixth. Was how can I say? Um, he was different, differently mentaled. <laughs> he was in modern parlance, you'd say he was neurodiverse, but oh, okay, he was a couple of cannonballs short of a fromagerie. Okay. Yeah, he was he's absolute, <clears throat> absolute more hat stand. Um, gotcha, gotcha. And uh, there was loads of the French aristocrats giving um his hot seat the glad eye. And um, and the English knew this, so it was a very good time for a, a power grab, because nothing unites the English like giving the French a right good spanking. <laughs> so anyway, well, the French they were up for it, were they? Well, surprising. they were always up for it. 
They always wanted it. Um, in the beginning, they're not but, always but, up for but it. But Charlie, Charlie, yeah, obviously, once it kicks off, yeah, and they so realize what it's all about. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Oh, oh no. wait a minute. Oh, oh. Uh, may je suis oh, uh, nearby. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Henry, uh, so before the big battle, they had some warm up clashes, they had some warm up games. He arrived in Normandy at a squad of 12,000 men. And uh, they had a match at Harfleur, uh, which they 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 won uh, the first the first battle um, after six weeks. But the the scoreline flattered Henri's side, to be fair, because by the final whistle, England's lineup had been decimated by injuries, deaths, uh, desertions, and worst mm. of all, <laughs> absolutely rampant dysentery through the camp. <laughs> It was like <laughs> the shits. It was it was like bats out of the clock tower, said Henry in a post match conference, probably press conference. Anyway, he um um now they should have gone back, but they couldn't get back to England. So they were met in Agincourt by um a new arm, a new French army led by an uh, what was an interim manager, Tom. He was Constable mm. Charles Debray, and he had his and he had a wily number two called Jean de Le Menergue. Um mm. uh, and he so Henri had he had six thousand archers and he had two thousand men which he put up front. So it's a kind of uh five three one formation. Yeah, I'm starting um, starting to lose the uh, Yeah, I'll I'll just kind of go with it, all right? Just yeah, I'm trying. Just, <laughs> I mean just, so far. We've had a lot of right. people with the shits. I mean um Lin- yeah. Gary Lineker had the shits They against, got the um, shits out there, didn't they? They got the shits in Mexico. Yeah. Um yeah, yeah deaths, less so. Yeah, um, okay. People okay. people not making World Cups because of uh, anyway, well, well, blackmail, listen, blackmail listen. scandals. Right. <laughs> that happened. Anyway. Look, they play. They put a lot of men up front because the 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 field in Picardy was uh, the playing surface, if you will, was a complete mess. It was quagmire. And the English side, they were sick. They were famished. They were frail. They were outnumbered by as many as six to one. Um, well, so the French were the, well, they're the clear bookies' favourites. So they had a mix of youth and experience, and they they were fully rested. They hadn't had a game. They hadn't had a fight before this. Um, and they went in there full of confidence, vowing to cut off the fingers of of every English archer they captured. Um, that's why you do that symbol with your fingers, isn't it? Well, going to get to is. that. Yeah, I think. So. Well, I don't know if that's true, but it is. It's it is be. true. Yeah, it is true. They cut okay. off your fingers. Yeah. So From Norman um, times. Yeah. So basically, what happened was it was very cagey beginning, and they both parked the bus. Um, with about three banks of around 4,000, well, the French had about 4,000. But then Henry basically pushed all his men further up the pitch, um, and then they the French responded with a cavalry-led counterattack, and and uh, and it, this counterattack on horseback was, it was a tactical disaster. Basically, all the English archers peeled back their longbows and picked them all off with ease. And the sky was raining with arrows and mallets and axes. Like footballs. Mm. And swords and footballs and um, whistles. Scarves. And shibads. Um, and uh, basically, I yeah. Bet, I bet some uh, real morons were throwing coins. Coins, yeah. Lighters. Lighters. 
Um, bottles of piss. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. that. Pepsi bottles <laughs> full of wee-wee. And the French army basically were massacred in the mud. Um, uh, um, and so there was an, an unexpected away win for the English, Tom. Brilliant. The French, the French lost 10,000 men, many mm. whom were members of the nobility. Um, and England uh, lost just 400 men. Wow. What did they drink to celebrate? Did they have a drink? Well, no, no, no. Okay. Well, just, just before we go to what we're drinking. Oh. Because <laughs> uh, Henry, he returned to London as a national hero and his, uh, his position was legitimised. And um, they it basically was going to go and take the French throne. But mm. he then had, he himself had the severe case of the shits, of the squids. Right. And that killed him in 1422. So he never oh, took... He died of the shits. He died of the earthers. Because oh. you could always put more food in, couldn't you? Even if you're shitting. Well, you could put I it... I guess you get yeah. to that point where you just put it in and it goes straight out again. Yeah, you get I think. Nothing yeah, they, from I it. don't know if they had dirolate. No. So anyway, okay. what so what we're, what we're drinking, because it, it all took place in Picardy in northern France with a, on a field, we're going to have a saison. A beer de garde, ah, which okay. is a sort of acutely idiosyncratic style beer rooted in the rustic regions of France. It's just uh, well, just down the road from where Henri spanked, spanked the French. Mm. And um, they, it used to be given to workers who were working in fields. It's got herbs and spices in. And uh, Saison Dupont is a very, very lovely version of... Um, a saison beer de garde style. So we're going to have a saison du pont. Ah, nice. Or, I like or, that. Or you can even have one called la bavassienne ombre, which is a slightly a uh, darker version. Uh, we'll put it on a little text below the. Yeah, feed. and have that with a good English lager, like I yeah. suggested, the Carlsberg. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brewed right. in Northampton. But, yeah. Probably where Henry was from. The so battle, there we go. The battle of the beers. As we yes. go into the battle of the football, big weekend with the football. Um, I, I thought, I, yeah, I, I was thinking about the football because in our book this week, one of the options we had to was to recognise the debut of the Dutch footballer Dennis Bergkamp, which made me realise when we were writing this book, this must have been a very, very a difficult, yeah. very difficult week to write because uh, you don't normally consider. Dennis Burkamp making his Ajax debut in 1986, one of the great dates for your calendar. Although he was a very important footballer and scored one of my favourite all-time World Cup goals in 1998 against the Argentinians. Oh. And we'll put a link to that goal on the thread yeah. here because it is one of the greatest goals of World Cup history. And the Dutch are actually playing the Argentinians. So he is kind of relevant. 14th of December, he made that debut. Um, but also relevant, uh, the, Raheem Sterling's birthday is on December the 8th, Ben, I've discovered. Oh. And he shares his birthday with Rhys James, who sadly couldn't be there. And God knows we could do with him up against Mbappe because... Carl Walker is going to get absolutely butchered. And 8th of December is Jeff Hurst's birthday. Oh. And, and my favourite birthday on the 8th is Sir Les Ferdinand, Ben. Would you believe it? <laughs> As a Sir Les. Sir Leslie Ferdinand. Imagine that. All those footballers on the 8th of December. I thought that was quite interesting. Oh. Relevant as England goes. I love that man. 
I love um, Les Ferdinand. Yeah, you're listening, to Les. F- I love yeah. you. <laughs> he is, as are Rich James, uh, Raheem Sterling. I don't. There's Chelsea scum. Not interested. No. Uh, December the fourteenth, though, is Michael Owen's birthday and Chris Waddles, and both of those guys went out on pens just so we can balance balance that up. Yeah. Uh, next week we could be talking about how the World Cup doesn't exist anymore um, if we no. go out to the French this week. Uh, so there we go. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Thanks, I mate. No, can't can't good... pay some of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, don't, well, or... don't let can't pace go to waste. That's what we say. <laughs> it's the most important tool in our armory. Control oh, X, fact, Control actually, V. I've just realised as well there's links there because I said popped clogs and Dennis Burkamp took off his clogs to play football, but also yeah. armory. Uh, Nobel creating all those weapons and you did a one on war. Yeah, so two actually, they go together nicely, don't oh, they? If if only we planned this, <laughs> might have been briefer if we had. Uh, keep All it right, under an hour. Hmm. Okay, Podbods, that's right. enough from us. Yeah. Go away, drink sensibly, drink less, drink better. Be nice to people. Spread the word. Tell people about this podcast. Subscribe to it. Download it, please, because yes. yes. um, it makes a difference to our egos. It does. And as we approach the Christmas uh, period, if you haven't bought a gift for your loved one, then please do always remember our subscription package, which is available on our website, thinkingdrinkers.com. We'll send you three fantastic drinks every month, plus uh, information on an exclusive website. And we'll have a virtual tasting once a month as well, all for the amazing price, Ben, of £120. That's a £10 a month. And you get a copy of our Thinking Drinkers Almanac, which you can read and notice all the typos. Yeah. (laughs) And read all about Dennis Burkamp's debut for Ajax in 1986. I mean, what more? Name Sunday Times Drinks Book of the Year 2021. So it's not just us saying it's wicked. Someone else did. And that actually... Oh, yeah, we just slagged off the time. Someone who does shit wine writing. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no, it's really good. I look really interesting. I'm going to buy all the wines. Whatever. Hashtag <laughs> wine writing is well easy. All right. <laughs> on that note, uh, love you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.